Welcome back to One on One. We are now pleased to be joined by Jake Brown. Jake is the co-host of the Amazing But True podcast and the Gangs All Here podcast. He's also covered Mets games for the New York Post this season. Jake, so glad to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, guys. How's it going? Good, good. Uh, I just want to get right into it, starting with the Mets, which you've obviously have a lot of familiarity with, with the podcast and the coverage. Um, I just want to know, looking back at past Mets seasons, where do you think this one, you know, compares to those that are obviously trying to go in a new direction under Steve Cullen? Do you think this has been a success of a season or maybe more of a failure, maybe or somewhere in the middle? Definitely more of a failure. I think when you're in first place for 103 days and miss the playoffs and finish under 500, that's as bad as it gets. Uh, there's obviously some positives to take from this team, but overall, you can't be in first place that long and regress like they did. We knew that that schedule in August with the Giants, Dodgers, Giants, Dodgers, nonstop was probably going to kill them, but I didn't think it'd kill them to the point where they'd be eliminated with eight, nine games left on the schedule. Uh, a lot of questions to answer in the off season, but you know, while it was a disappointing season, there are some good things you can take into the off season. Some good things you could take into the future. They have the money to spend, you know, Steve Cohen didn't actually do it as much as we would hope in off season number one, but now he's got a year under his belt. He's got his feet wet and there's no excuses. Now there's going to be a new manager. There's going to be a new general manager. There's going to be a new president of baseball operations. It's going to be a big overhaul this off season. And, they're not light years away from being a playoff contender. Clearly when you're in first place for a hundred days, you're not that far away. Um, and it's not like anyone else in the NL East exactly ran away with this division. So I think with a, with a good off season, a strong off season, a lot of money spent in the off season, the right manager put in place. I think they could turn this ship around, but definitely overall, it's gotta be frustrating because, you know, again, I was there 50 plus times and, you know, this was one of the better home teams in baseball, and they were just atrocious on the road. Just an absolutely terrible team on the road to the point where the Orioles were only a couple of games worse than them, and they were the worst team in the league. So we'll see what happens this offseason, but definitely a frustrating uh, couple of months here. Yeah, certainly an eventful year for the Mets, to say the least. As you said, they were in first place for 103 straight days, which is very impressive considering how the season ended up for them. Uh, with this new regime, what do they have to do uh, to ensure that the 2022 campaign has a more positive ending? Is, does this come down to spending money, or is there something else they can do internally to fix issues that have been plaguing them? Well, the right manager put in place is definitely going to help. Luis Rojas was in over his head. He was just a god-awful manager. He did everything by the books. It was almost nothing was by a feel of the game. The feel for the game of baseball was lost. It was all matchups, up downs. This guy's pitch count's too high. You know, he's gone too many innings to the point where you could predict what was going to happen. All right, fifth inning over, 80 pitches. This guy's coming out. Go to the bullpen, middle relief blows it. They don't get a big hit. Runners in scoring position, nobody outs. They don't score. So it became robotic a lot this year. So I think the right manager will make a huge difference. A good, good manager wins you eight to 10 games that you might've lost. The Mets led the league in one run losses. There was a reason for that. Yeah. They didn't get the clutch hit. Yeah. They didn't have a lot of, you know, talent at times guys underperformed. Of course, there's no denying that, but also the manager affected a lot of those games. So that's one thing too. Yes. You got to spend money. I think they made some moves, but not enough. Obviously the Lindor move was talked about, but look at what JT Real Muto did versus what James McCann did. I mean, that difference 
that's a five to 10 game difference alone right there. You know, George Springer, I thought you could have had him as well. Um, you know, starting pitching depth. They said they had all of it. Clearly there wasn't enough of it. Uh, having Jacob to ground back healthy. I mean, he was a win every five days, essentially. And you lost out on five to 10 wins there in the second half from him missing time. So staying healthy, addressing depth and getting the right manager, um, are going to be important, but yeah, Steve Cohen, you know, everyone wants to talk about all the money he spent. You know, my co-host Figgy always says, you know, everyone hyped him all, all the money, but what money did he spend? He didn't spend as much as we would hope. And money doesn't always address, you know, all the issues a team has, but for a team that has struggled in some ways financially under the Wilpons, Cohen's got to come in there and spend as much as he can to make this team champion. Cause he said, you know, the two to three, two to four year window, whatever it was. Well, we're entering year two now and the Mets in year one missed the playoffs. So it's, it's really playoffs or bust in 2022. And, you know, it takes the cash to do that. You talk about the moves the Mets you know need to make this off season. The one move they did make at the deadline was bringing in Javier Baez. Where do you think he, you know, sits in with the Mets next year? Do they look to resign him? Are they going to let him go? Obviously he has a high strikeout rate, but he did hit pretty well, hit over 300 with the Mets this season. Do you think they're going to look to bring him back? And then maybe your perspective, do you think that's the right move for them? Yeah, well, it's crazy since thumbs down gate, as we call it, he's <laughs> been incredible and he's become a must sign now. Like, you know, Sandy Alderson, I didn't mention him is another issue. This guy's got to go, but unfortunately he's going to be here one more year, which makes no sense with all the, you know, bags that he's fumbled as, as the kids say now he's fumbled a <laughs> lot of bags. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to be a problem maybe in this. I don't know if Sandy's in love with spending a ton of money on Baez, but you have to give him an offer. I mean, the way he runs the bases, the fact that he could play second, third, and short, really, if you need him, you know, his power ability, obviously the strikeouts are frustrating and the fact he doesn't get on base is frustrating, but that's something that could be worked on. But he just brings so much to a team. Lindor loves him. Seems like teammates love him. He's too talented to not offer. If you could get him for five and for 125 or whatever it is, it seems like a no brainer. We'll see what they offer. I think you have to give him something. It's up to him if he accepts or declines it. It seems like, you know, he likes playing with Lindor and like some of the guys. It's too, you know, it's too short a sample size to say he's in love with New York. I think he's a guy who, if he's going to get 30 million, you know, somewhere else versus 25 million a year here, he might go elsewhere, but it would be just stupid if you don't give him a big money offer. Now I, I'm not in the eight to 10 year kind of window, uh, you know, year one, it didn't work out great with Lindor, but he did pick it up as the season went along. I'm more of, all right, let's see if we could get him for five years, maybe four and an option. That seems to make more sense. Jake, you, you touched on it earlier about Jacob deGrom and the health concerns this year, obviously had his moments of brilliance, seven and two, 1.08 ERA, you know, unfortunately for him, the fans and the rest of the team, he had that persistent elbow inflammation all year that had, had kept him out. Given what we know about the injury and what we know about DeGrom as a pitcher, what do you expect from him next season? I expect greatness. I mean, he's the GOAT. I mean, you know, he's had a lot of time to rest. Uh, you know, the Mets were very strange in their explanation of that injury and how it, you know, recovered by itself. the whole thing was just weird. But I think a full off season here to rest it up, he's going to be back and better than ever. And I'd like to see them have him go. And he's in good enough shape to go seven or eight every time. I mean, the guy got a lot of injuries this year. I get it. He, he gets pulled after five innings. 
some starts would love to, you know, they need to get back to once every five days. DeGrom's giving you seven every single time, sometimes eight, and then the occasional nine. We almost see, never see nine anymore, uh, but I'd like to see, you know, a few complete games because he's got it in him. So I'm not too worried about it. I think, uh, you know, this long off season, get his mind right, get everything right. He's going to be fine next year, and they need him. I mean, I think that's a big difference in the second half, too. Him not out there. And when you lose two or three in a row, they didn't have the DeGrom to bring them back to life. They had Rich Hill and Carlos Carrasco try to bring them back to life. Stroman, you know, did well and, and picked up a big low, but still, Stroman's not a guy every five days who's pitching a shutout, shutout almost every time. Great season. You know, you try to re-sign him potentially, but he's no Jacob DeGrom. We talked about how the Mets held on to that first place in the NLEs for so long, and then they kind of just seemed to lose it towards the end of the season. Was there a moment throughout that time, maybe the Atlanta Braves series or the NL West series where you felt like the Mets were really going to not hold on to that first place and it seemed like they were on the real rear, uh, rear view window, like looking in on the playoffs? Was there a single moment maybe during the regular season where, you know, that kind of like set in on you? Yeah, well, the Braves series, Figgy will point to a lot because he felt they could have really put the hammer down them on them. Five-game series, you win four out of five, you know, things change. They did not. Um, I think that stretch against the Dodgers and Giants is when I, it started kicking in of, all right, this thing, you know, might slip away from us here. And then that sweep in Philly, you know, I did a lot, our first live show on that Sunday and they get swept and it was the most lifeless game ever. And I mean, it was like, it was hard to do a podcast after that. I'm like, you know, is anyone there, you know, Bueller, Bueller, is anyone there? Um, so that Phillies weekend and really those giants and Dodgers series were really the point you're like, all right, we're in trouble. And then, you know, the final nail in the coffin and I called it the funeral. It felt like a funeral leaving city field was that extra inning game where Rojas made just too many mistakes to even go through. And then Lindor had the double play in extra innings and then they lose. And I think it was 11 against the Cardinals. And that really propelled the Cardinals on their 17 game win streak. I thought if they won that game, there was a glimmer of hope after that subway series. You thought, all right, maybe this is what ignites this team. You win on that Tuesday game. I think they would have been two and a half out, but they lose that game. And after that, it was just downhill. They just couldn't win a game. Um, they were losing every day, but it was really those West coast games that uh, real the West coast games, put the August nail in the coffin, the game in 11 innings against the Cardinals put the uh, final nail final backstabbing into my back when I left City Field. Definitely a lot of missed opportunities to assert themselves in the division against Atlanta and that West Coast series, as you mentioned. You know, after the events of this summer that were tragic in one sense for a team that was in first place for such a long period of time, you know, a lot of people are talking about who's coming back and who's played their last game in Flushing. And right now, two guys that are at the center of those conversations are Michael Conforto and Noah Syndergaard. You know, those guys obviously are fan favorites from those magical runs in 2015, 2016. Uh, do you think they should offer those guys qualifying deals or where, where do you stand on their future in New York? I'm not goo goo gaga over Syndergaard like a lot of Mets fans are. I think, you know, he's pitched one inning in two years. Um, you know, he's he's not the most mature guy, but I think he does have great stuff. And when he's healthy, he's a good pitcher. Uh, he's, he's been inconsistent at times. He had command issues at times, but when he's healthy, it's a no brainer. So I think you have to offer him the qualifying offer Because listen, if Syndergaard goes elsewhere, you have the Zach Wheeler 
thing happen again, right in your face. You know, Zach Wheeler's getting around 20 million a year. That's right around there where the qualifying offer is. And it's one year. And also with Cohen, you're not in this will pond stage of, Oh, we, we got a penny pinch and that's a lot of money. It's Cohen. Give him the qualifying offer. It's a no brainer that he accepts it. You know, he's not getting a long-term deal out, you know, after all the injuries and the setbacks and we didn't even get to see him throw his off speed stuff. We saw the change up, but you know, the doctor said he can't throw uh, his breaking ball. So that's still something we have to see where, you know, God forbid, hopefully he gets through, you know, Sunday's one inning, which I still don't get what the point of throwing him out there for another meaningless inning is. It was nice to see him the other day. Yeah. Maybe that sold, you know, a couple extra tickets, but yeah, I would definitely give Syndergaard the qualifying offer. Conforto, it's, it's weird because I think we all love him. He's a likable guy. Uh, the ladies love him. He's a good looking dude. Uh, same for Syndergaard. But uh, I don't know. He had such a down year that it's almost like you need a drastic offseason. And I don't know if he's part of the plans. Now, if you don't end up getting someone like Castellanos or one of those other names out there for one year, I think it's it's a no brainer. You know, Scott Boris is his agent, too, and Scott Boris hates the Mets. And that's going to be something that could put a wrench in the Mets plans as well. You know, if if he gets three years, 45 million from someone else, you understand why he takes it. Um, gun in my head right now, I'd say, yes, give them both the qualifying offer. And, and you hope this is just a down year. It was a weird year with the injuries, with COVID, with everything and the protocols. So maybe you think next year he comes back. But, you know, this was a down year for him. Didn't hit well versus lefties. Wasn't great in the clutch, uh, but he did bring good defense and, and his teammates love him. It just was a weird feeling because you felt like it was over at City Field Thursday night with the whole goodbyes and everything. And, and you know, if this was it and the tears, it just felt like, you know, he's going to go elsewhere. Um, but I would still give him the qualifying offer because he has brought a lot to this team. You know, we talked a lot about the negatives with this Mets team, the struggles. You know, what was the one bright spot maybe you saw with this team this year? Uh, outside of Jacob DeGrom, we all know he was spectacular. Obviously, he doesn't finish out the year. But was there, you know, a lone bright star in this lineup or in the bullpen or the starting rotation that you saw throughout the year? Yeah, well, I think Strowman was a bright spot. I think he came in on that qualifying offer. And, you know, that does show you what the qualifying offer does sometimes. It motivates guys to go get a long-term deal and also gives you $19, 20000000 million for a year, which is a handsome payday. And it worked for Strowman. It motivated him. He was great. He was a bright spot for this team. I think when he played, Brandon Nimmo was a bright spot, another 400-plus OBP year. So he really established himself as a good leadoff hitter. Sometimes he drives you nuts with his base running and uh, mistakes on the base pass in the field sometimes, maybe looking at too many pitches, uh, uh, striking out looking with him is sometimes frustrating, but he was a bright spot when he was healthy. Pete Alonso was you know, a mainstay, another big year, almost 40 homers. He's going to finish with whatever, 37, 38 homers. Uh, so he was a bright spot. Uh, you know, I, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, and then Aaron loop, Aaron loop was the free agent signing of the year, uh, sub one ERA. Uh, you have to bring Aaron loop back no matter what it takes. So really pitching wise, I look at loop and Stroman as, as the bright spots and then hitting wise Nimmo when he was out there, and Pete Alonzo showing, you know, he didn't regress. He was still the same hitter. And if he gets support around him in that lineup, which he didn't get enough of, uh, that's a bright spot down the road that Pete Alonzo is your franchise player. Because, you know, people debate he's the face of the team. You know, this year proved that he might be the face of the Mets. And, 
you know, he's going to be a guy that you have to consider. That's another guy you got to look forward to in the future signing long-term You're, you know, Pete Alonzo made more in the two home run derbies that he won than his actual salary uh, for the season. So he's a guy who's going to get $25, $30 million down the road. And he looks like he could be the face of this franchise. You know, staying in the vicinity of bright spots and, and things you can take away from this year. As I watched the Mets this season, I kept thinking about one word, personality. You know, this, this October is going to mark 35 years since their last World Series win in 86. And that team had guys like Daryl Strawberry, Doc Good, and Lenny Dykstra, the list goes on and on, that just were a melting pot of different dispositions. I'm wondering, chemistry-wise, from what you've seen from this core, however you choose to define the core, whether it be guys like DeGrom and Alonzo, or, or maybe Lindor has worked his way into that definition of the core going forward, Baez, if they choose to resign him. Does this club have personalities that at a certain point could just click and, and ride the wave to a postseason in the future? I think some of the players do, but the manager had zero. He was, as I said, he was a robot. You need a manager that has some personality. You don't need exactly a guy who's going to flip over the dinner table after a game. But as much as I would hate on Terry Collins, and I've liked him more since having him on the show and talking to him, he's just the nicest guy. And I love the fire that he least brought, you know, to post games. This is New York. You know, this is a city where we have a fiery people. We'll tell it how it is. You know, we'll call you an idiot if we have to. We'll call you stupid if we have to. We'll curse if you cut us off in the street. You need a manager that kind of represents New York and that the fans are going to respect. And I don't think Luis Rojas brought that. Well, he was a nice guy and the players might have liked him. He held nobody accountable. He never held himself accountable. Never called himself out for making a mistake, for making the wrong decision, for putting the wrong guy in, for taking the guy out too early. He never did that. And it was just frustrating night after night to get that. So I think with the right manager hire, you know, if they got Bob Melvin, that's great. I don't know if he would leave Oakland, but Oakland did miss the playoffs. Maybe you have the Billy Bean, Bob Melvin pairing. I always wanted Bob Melvin before Terry Collins. And they get him. Buck Showalter's a name that's always floating out there. People will float Wally Backman out there, but the organization never, especially Sandy. Sandy hates Wally. Wally told me that personally. Wally said Sandy hates him. So that that avenue is never happening with Wally Backman as much as fire as he brings. You know, talking about 86 Mets, he was one of those guys in the documentary, too, that still would love to have a managing job that's better than Long Island Ducks. No offense to the Ducks, but uh, the Mets is obviously a bigger job than uh, the streets of East Islip. Uh, so the fire, if you get the fire from a manager, it's there. I mean, you see it from some of these guys, but in my mind, some of, some of them, it's just too soft right now. Uh, the whole thumbs down thing, uh, it comes from your manager. And it just seems like in some aspects, I mean, we're in a softer generation. There's no doubt about that. But it felt like at times this team uh, was soft. And Baez was a guy that brought some you know, energy, the whole Subway Series thing and the whistling. Lindor and Baez brought some energy to this team, but you saw early in the year, you know, with the Dom Smith and the Alvarez situation, you know, kind of didn't face the music there and go after him. Uh, I think this team could use some cojones as we say on the podcast a lot, they could use some cojones and I hope they get the right manager to bring some cojones to the uh, 2022 Mets. Now, Jake, before we let you go, I do want to ask about your time with the New York Post. You've now worked there for two years and you've helped launch a series of podcasts. You know, what has your experience been like working for the Post and, you know, working on all those podcasts like during your time so far? 
It's been great. I'm uh yeah, today was my two year anniversary and uh, I'm pretty proud of what we've done considering I haven't had like a team of people. I've had like 10 to 15 hours of help every week, but I've kind of did it all on my own. I haven't taken time off. So soon I'm, I'm looking, you know, one, now that this Mets season is coming to an end, which I'm at this point, I'm kind of happy about, obviously I wanted the playoffs, but I'm looking forward to getting a break from the nightly, uh, the nightly frustration of watching this team uh, for the most part, at least the last two months been super frustrating. So, yeah, I mean, we've done great things and we're hoping to expand to video soon and um, maybe new shows coming down the road. Stay tuned for that. But uh, what we've done is cool. You know, we at one point we're top 10 in, in categories for Mets and Rangers. We've been in the top 50 for the other teams. We've had better guest lists than any, any of those teams podcasts in the country. Honestly, we've, I've, I've personally got to interview my heroes from Mike Piazza to David Wright, Joe Namath, um, Patrick Ewing, uh, Alan Houston, um, uh, you know, Eli Manning the other day, last week was, was a big one. We've had some great Rangers guests. Uh, so it's really, you know, I've, I've gotten so many reps in producing, hosting, being the third guy that I feel like we could take this thing to a new level and we've really cemented ourselves, you know, knowing, you know, I launched shows for the New York post, which I'm proud of because it's the New York post, you know, it's a store, it's a newspaper. I read as a kid, read my grandparents' house growing up, you know, you know, bringing pizza over there and reading the post. And now my face and my ads are in the post. Um, I got to, you know, I did it in my twenties. Now I'm 30, but I started, uh, I was 28. So I was pretty young and, um, talking to guys like you and, and teaching you that, you know, if you put the hard work in and the work ethic is there, you could reach this point and I'm not even close to where I want to be. So definitely proud of what we've done in two years, more to come. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited for the future and I've done it over with some terrible teams. You know, the Knicks had a little bit of a bright spot, but even the Yankees to their standards haven't been great. The Mets have been bad. Um, now the Knicks are on the come up nets are okay. The Rangers are young, getting better. Um, so it's been exciting to do great content with terrible performances from teams. So once these teams are good again, uh, I think there'll be more hype around the shows. If we can win a championship and have a championship parade podcast, that's kind of my goal for the coming year or two. Once again, Jake Brown, co-host of the amazing, but true podcast and the gangs all here podcast. Be sure to check him out on Twitter at Jake Brown radio. Jake, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me guys. Appreciate it.